0: we walked into it unabashedly saying we don't know nothing we really don't understand this teach us train us we're coachable explain to us pluses and minuses of this evidence-based at the end of the day is to ask more intelligent questions and you build a
1: model based off of what the market is telling you and you assume nothing this is the playbook man do i have a treat for you we have an extraordinary entrepreneur with an extraordinary purpose Bob Bush CEO of Matumbo Coffee that's right Matumbo he uh, you could put me on Bob's shoulder and Matumbo still would be taller than both of us welcome to the playbook Bob thank you Dave it's a pleasure to be here and you know we got to meet and I've been a big fan of not only Matumbo Coffee but the business model I love when ingenuity takes over in the perspective of business meaning taking a business that Everybody probably thinks is overcrowded or overplayed, and then completely turning it upside down. Uh, what has attracted you, number one, to the Matumbo Coffee brand? But what are the nuances of the business model that makes it so unique?
0: That, that's a great question. I'll tell you. You know, be careful what you wish for, and and be mindful of the promises that you make, because you might just have to keep them. And so when, when uh, Dikembe and I met about three years ago, he was in, in Dubai where I've spent the bulk of the last 20 years uh, in Dubai in, in the GCC region. And he asked, I asked him, you know, how do you have a career post the NBA that to me eclipses what you did as a star athlete? And it really gets to the heart of your question around purpose and, and, and seeking to make impact and make a difference. So we started brainstorming about how what additional impact he wanted to make because he had he was one of the first guys out of the NBA. This is going back almost 20 years, you know, where he took the bulk of his his salary and he created a hospital named after his mother, who unfortunately died uh, when he was a young man and she always wanted him to be a doctor. Now at seven foot three and, you know, most people think that he was recruited to play basketball at Georgetown. He didn't even, he wasn't a basketball player. Um, so he's just, he, he, as, as you know, many kids in Africa and the Congo, their favorite sport is is football. Um, but when you're walking around looking like you should be on the team, everybody assumes you are. And of course the assistant coaches come out. He got a scholarship from the State Department for pre-med. To make a long story short, great genes, great work ethic, he becomes a hall of fame basketball player. So he made a lot of money, but he remembered the promise that he had made to his mother about being a doctor. So he says, you know, Bob, I hope my mother's proud. I'm not a doctor, but I wanted to build a hospital that would serve as a guidepost to create a lot more doctors to help my country, to help my people. And that hospital, um, the Mutombo Hospital has now served more than 900,000 patients. So I said, brother, how are you going to top that? He says, well, I'm going to do a school. I'm going to name the school after my dad, and then I'm going to do a university. I said, well, you know, where's how are you going to do all these things? That NBA money isn't like it used to be, right? You're you're retired from that. He says, well, I have this great foundation, and initially it was kind of shut up and dribble, and then people saw that I was true to my word, and we started having impact. Now he's got some of the biggest foundations in the world supporting him. So I said, well, you know, I don't know much about philanthropy and charity and large foundations. My world comes from the finance world. Um, I, I've taken sort of my weaknesses as being kind of obsessive and anal, and I've somehow managed to have a decent career in investments in finance. So maybe I can take my sense of purpose and your passion, and maybe we can do something to further the impact that you want in Africa. And that's how we started, we came up with the idea of uh, Mutumbo coffee. And as we started getting into this, this was pre COVID, right? Which is why I say, be careful what you promise. So I said, you know, how, how, how hard can it be, right? You move a product out of Africa or the Congo and a few of the Western countries, you've got a great brand, um, and we just start looking for distribution. Well, lo and behold, less than a year later, the whole world turns topsy turvy. And one of the things that came out of that particularly when you're an entrepreneur, we had to build the business day one that had true shock absorbers because, so you normally you're so hyped about the prospect and the opportunity to grow and to do all this, but when the world shuts down and you're gone, now you really get to see just how entrepreneurial you are. And so we had to deal with how are we gonna get the coffee out? It's normally tough, but it's even tougher when barges are not moving and all of that, so it made us a stronger com- uh, company, David. Because all of these things that I thought we could take for granted, I couldn't take for granted, uh, because we started building what I called a COVID-proof business model. Um, how do we even vet the farmers, right? How do we get the logistics? How do we sell to restaurants are closed, hotels are right, so we started doing all the things that we thought were gonna be necessary because one day, God willing, the world was gonna open up again. And now that it has, and we're ready.
1: And being ready is you know, difficult still, even though after COVID, what are some of the challenges that you faced out, out of COVID uh, in the supply chain side, in the sourcing of the topest, I mean, the highest quality uh, coffee bean, Uh, But maybe even on the marketing side of raising the awareness, because one thing that a lot of people uh, don't understand is, although COVID allowed us to really look at how efficient and effective we could be, it also gave opportunity to create noise. And there's a lot of, you know, white noise out there and interfering noise uh, between the true players and those that are just great at marketing, Uh, I would say all hat, no horse, Um, but you've done such an extraordinary job of creating quantitative value and marketing it effectively through all that noise.
0: Well, the good thing about it, it makes you really focus on who you really wanna be your customer because you don't have the luxury of wasting energy, wasting effort, wasting time. So we had to think very hard who still will care about these kinds of issues and have cared about these kinds of issues. One, of, one, one category are foundations themselves. So we started talking to the uh, foundations that had normally been thinking about providing charity into Africa, into these villages and said, how about thinking more in terms of trade, not aid? How about thinking more in terms of commerce and employment, not gifts, and they said, talk to us more. So some of our first early adopters were foundations who normally would be looking for ways to gift monies and to support philanthropic opportunities. And I said, we don't need your gifts, just buy great coffee. So that was the first thing we went to, we've got, we've had some very great foundations that when they do an event or when they are gifting for you know um, uh, holidays, they purchase our coffee because it reflects uh, their values. Then we went to, and uh, we have a fabulous event coming up in a month or two, and I'll let you know about it. I think it's gonna be mid-October. Then we went to some of the largest corporations and said, you know, when I go talk to your procurement guy, he's always trying to whittle me down on the price because he his job is to get the, 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 the cheapest price, the best value. But your corporate mission and your corporate values Talk about corporate social responsibility. You say you're concerned about um, your mission and values and alignment. Well, your procurement strategy doesn't align up with your with your with your mission and vision. Are you aware of that? Because for every 50 cents your facilities manager or your procurement guy whittles down the price, there's a farmer in my village in our communities that are getting hurt by that. Is that really your intent? But Bob, we weren't aware of that. We just viewed coffee as a commodity like we view other things. So the third thing we had to do was to establish that coffee, the way we do it, because of the quality, because of the provenance, because we want to make sure that the the quality assurance is there, the traceability is there, that you're paying for a higher quality cup that has a higher value purpose to it. And this is much more in line with me. And so we've got some fabulous early adopters from the corporate side that recognize that despite what's going on in the world, even if it's a hybrid model, we don't want our employees or our corporate executives to inadvertently be taking advantage of people in the supply chain and the value chain. So once they know, then they have to make a choice. And I said, listen, guys, you don't even have to go with me. There are other companies that are fighting this fight as well. So if you don't go with us, please be more thoughtful of your procurement, whether it's coffee, whether it's tea, whatever other goods that you have, because there are people involved in this and they're hurting.
1: Yeah, and your creative expansion perception and shared vision of this alignment applies, as you know, to governments, to universities, to corporations, as you just mentioned, especially in the procurement side, when we can just articulate the quantitative value beyond just the price. And we can actually, you know, I wrote a book called Compassionate Capitalism that deals with this and that people are truly understanding and they're looking for opportunities that they can do well by doing good. And that's what Mutumbo Coffee represents, not just to itself and to the countries, universities, and governments that it supports, but it also allows the opportunity for the companies, the governments, and the universities themselves to experience doing well by doing good. Uh, you are an expert in investment and innovation. Uh, you've worked with the biggest family offices in the world. Uh, the amount of bees involved. And when I say bees, I mean, billions uh, involved are extraordinary. And you have uh, established yourself as a leader in this community by being more interested than interesting by doing your best learning lessons and having fun from a very young age with all the challenges that you were faced in uh our own society, a variety of challenges uh, from being poor, from being a minority, to just, you know, being an entrepreneur. Those are enough challenges uh, to last a lifetime. But you talk about something that's really interesting to me, and it's uh, evidence-based investing. And I was hoping you know that we could share the idea of evidence-based investing and how you're applying it, not just to Matumbo, to all the different companies that you support that have this compassionate, capitalistic type of uh, mission involved.
0: Wow, so thank you for doing your homework. I haven't talked about evidence-based investing uh, per se in quite a while, but you're right. So I don't claim to be a coffee expert. Um, I, I love a good cup of coffee. But before entering this journey with my partners and Kembe, you know, I was quite satisfied with you know the stuff that you can get on the corner where you put the whipped cream and the and the latte this and the frappe that and the light the skinny and all of that and I thought I was drinking coffee. What I learned is, I'm just drinking a uh, a coffee flavored hot beverage. I'm actually not drinking good coffee. So I'm still very much on a learning curve to really understand what that means. And fortunately, we have entered an ecosystem where they really help us do that. But getting to the, notion, the this element of what did I learn from Wall Street experiences, investment experiences, and how do I apply it uh, into the, the, the commodities world? That in part is, I think, part of our company's secret sauce because none of us came from the agricultural business. So my head of marketing, my head of ops, we all came from more traditional worlds and it gives us a different kind of perspective and a fresh perspective on how to problem solve. So, you know, when when we're asked about, you know why don't you just jump into some big supermarket, right? That's kind of the holy grail. Can you get your product in, hundreds or thousands of supermarkets across the United States, et cetera. Well, the evidence-based approach or the factor-driven approach, both on the risk and return side says, well, let's see what that really means. And so when we started looking at the factors that make for a successful launch in a supermarket, for example, here's what we learned. We learned one, The supermarket is gonna put us right next to 50 other brands that do something very similar. And I don't know about you, David, but I don't like competition. I like differentiation. So how are we actually gonna be able to differentiate ourselves when, when our retail partner has put us right next to everybody else? And guess what? It's their customer and they get the data And if they like what we're doing, shucks, they'll just clone what we've done and put their own brand on it. That's not the kind of partnership I want to enter. And so when we started asking, you know, hard nosed, what I invest in this business or invest in a partnership with some of these retail partners, we realized, you know, heads they win if we sell a lot through them, but they mitigated their risk, um, and the economics didn't uh, add up for us. So as we then started looking at different approaches and different models, we realized that we were actually not strictly in the coffee business. We're actually in the conversations that occur between the sips of coffee business. We're in the communication business. We're in, hey, let's have a talk with my, with my buddy Meltzer. You're drinking something, I'm drinking something. We're in the collaboration business. So if we can move our model from product driven and commodification, we have the chance of really winning in this space. And that only came out because we went and we talked to roasters to see what their challenges are. We talked to the uh, distributors to figure out what their challenges are. And I had the benefit of not having any legacy issues to build a business model with a blank sheet of paper because we walked into it unabashedly saying, we don't know nothing. We really don't understand this. Teach us, train us, we're coachable, explain to us the pluses, pluses and minuses of this. So evidence-based at the end of the day is to ask more intelligent questions and you build a model based off of what the market is telling you and you assume nothing.
1: And lastly, you know, through that in all the challenges that you faced as someone who grew up with no connections and poor, someone who has faced all the different minority types of challenges that we have here in the United States still today. And of course, I always think the biggest challenges of just being an entrepreneur, when we are able to overcome those and learn from those as you have, the next challenge comes with what I call the big O little C. When we have built the bones and the muscles and the endurance of the ability to to overcome all these things, now we have so many opportunities and so many options and so many touches of favor I believe that the next for, uh, focus should be on prioritization. And from the day that I met you, you're extraordinary at prioritizing what's important uh, to you with your personal experiential giving and receiving values. And I was hoping you could share to finish up you know, some of the lessons of prioritization because I see prioritization is such a key component of one, it's the antidote to procrastination. So those people that are afraid to get started. And then two, it's definitely the antidote to feeling overwhelmed with all the abundance of success that those people that have capabilities to change the world like yourself, if they don't know how to prioritize, then they go back to to start and, you know, or go back to jail, right? And go back to start Uh, Mm. for you. Uh, How has that prioritization evolved and what are some of the key tips you can give our entrepreneurs of how you prioritize?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I'll I'll sort of touch upon personally how it worked. I grew up in the city of East St. Louis, Illinois. And so when you say poor, I didn't know I was poor. You know what? Because we were not poor with love and support. My parents were together. I have a great brother. I have a great sister. So my home was a safe haven. Whatever was going on around that city or in the world or on TV, when we got home, we were loved. There was no deficit of, of love and compassion and, and connectivity to my parents. So we were, I was very blessed to be born with something exceptionally intangible like that. So the, once you've got that and you're fortunate and blessed to have that, you, you're already on such a great foundation. No matter what happens in life and entrepreneurship, that confidence because that was instilled in me because I had great role models with my parents and my and, and their siblings. I was ready for the world, even though even though I didn't know what that really meant because that structure was so secure. So let me first say that. But yes, as you get on, there is these these this view about work-life balance. I must say, and you know that that you know, pity the spouse that, that has an entrepreneur as their husband or their wife. The, it is tremendously challenging on everyone around them from their children uh, to the spouses, et cetera. And so I'm just, I'm not a big proponent of work-life balance. And I know I, that I'm going against sort of the grain on this. I actually think it's about alignment. And what I've learned is what does that mean Spiritual. I loved at the beginning of the call you talked about how you are, you know, you're getting closer to your faith that we can borrow from Catholicism, we can borrow from Judaism, we can borrow from Islam. Wherever you want to borrow, just recognize that you are part of something greater and your purpose is better and greater than what you might have even imagined. So getting starting with that spiritual, then you get to the intellectual, how your brain works and how you process, and how do you make sure that amygdala. That that reptilian brain, which is the back of the brain, and then the midbrain, which is the monkey brain, that's all about status and ego, is is in alignment with that prefrontal context, uh, uh, prefrontal cortex, which is more about trying to, you know, synthesize the world around you and make responsible decisions, right? So then you got the intellectual, then you got the emotional, which is the heart. You, know, you can't see that, but it's on my heart. And then you got the hands. You got to do the work. So to me, first, before you can get to the issues of prioritization, if you don't have that alignment from the spiritual to the physical to the emotional, you can never, you'll always get thrown off about what your true north should be. And and that's the advice that I give. you work on those issues, then when the the shocks come, because there's always going to be them, COVID or whatever, or challenges, you'll be ready if you can get yourself in alignment.
1: And you have brought great alignment and great inspiration to all. You definitely understand knowing your what, your who, your how, your now, and applying your why, knowing there's something bigger than you that loves you more than your mom. And one of the things I'll tell you from doing so much work in Africa is being the chairman of Unstoppable Foundation there is that what you talked about, the value and the love and the compassion that exists in the home, even though the home sometimes is made of mud and fronds. Uh, They still have something that we should aspire to here in America, and the more we can do to support that type of culture and those type of values will only contribute and help everyone around the world. The incredible, compassionate capitalist, he's more interested than interesting, a complete aligned individual with my core values and beliefs and inspiration, Bob Bush, CEO of Matumbo Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me.